This is Chad Harrison, and you're listening to Hope Alive, applying God's word to your daily life. Hi, this is Chad Harrison, and I am the teaching pastor of Lake Community Church and have been serving as a pastor for 25 years. I'm also a practicing attorney. This podcast is designed to help you study God's word and find God's will for your life. I pray in the name of Jesus right now that God would open up his word to you and allow you to see him and to know him and to know his will, that you might glorify him and that you might walk in faith and power each and every day, especially today in Jesus name. Good morning. Welcome to Lake Community Church's morning Bible study. We're in Exodus chapter 28. We've made it all the way to Exodus chapter 28. Can you imagine that back during the pandemic when it just began to start we we worked our way through 150 psalms and then then we worked our way th- all the way through genesis and now we're we're not 75 percent, but 70 percent there through the book of exodus and it is somewhat of a moment where i just sit back and reflect and think about the time we spent going through the bible and the fun we've had going through the bible and and all the material that we've dealt with and talked about, it is a, it's a great day in my mind to consider and to think about why we've done this. We've done it because we want to see, we want to see from the Old Testament, a lot of the things that are going to highly impact and heavily impact the New Testament. So as we work through Psalms and you go, is, is Psalms really got anything to do with the New Testament? Really, Psalms is, is one of the most, if not the most, quoted book in the New Testament, and I think Jesus quotes Psalm, Psalms the most of all the books in the New Old Testament, and obviously Psalms is very important. And then you got Exodus and Genesis, and Genesis is the beginning of all things. In fact, it means beginning, but Genesis is, is important because you begin to see the pictures as you're working through Scripture, and, and the things that are uh, presented, especially in the first part of Genesis, and then the things that are prepared for in the book of Exodus, well, they carry throughout Scripture. They prepare us to go all the way throughout Scripture. And so Genesis, when you start off, and if you just think about it, all the many pictures that are in the book of Genesis, right when you start, you've got the Garden of Eden. It is a picture of paradise. It's a picture of heaven where God dwells with man, where God meets with man, walks with man in the cool of the evening. You've got the picture of the fruit of either righteousness or the fruit of life and the fruit of death and death being death being the law and the law identifying our sinfulness. You've got the serpent, you've got you've got Adam and Eve. You've got Adam and Eve realizing that they have that they have separated themselves from God and and realizing that they are without clothes. And as you work through all those pictures, Right there at the start, and I'm talking about right at the start. And then you've got all the numbers, the days that God made everything, and the picture of those days, and all the, it just begins the story of Scripture. And each one of those stories identify, they inform us about things to come. Remember, the Old Testament is a schoolmaster. It, it teaches us the things that we ought to look at and to see and to consider, and then to measure them up against Christ so that we can know him. It, it really gives us the painting and the background in which Jesus is presented. The Old Testament gives us the whole panorama, panoramic view of what's going on in the world, in society, in God's plan for the earth. 
then Jesus, the main character of Scripture, the 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 leading man of all times, the God Man on the earth, he steps into into the scene and begins revealing to us truly who God is. And so, when we study the Old Testament, we're studying God's preparation to reveal His Son. And as well as I do on Sunday morning, I teach through the New Testament. I've taught through New Testament books on Wednesday night, but we've stayed in the Old Testament here in the morning Bible study. And the reason why we've stayed in the Old Testament is because all those things that we talk about on Sunday morning, they are, the background is laid in the Old Testament. And going back to Genesis, all the way back to Genesis, we see when they eat of the uh, fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, remember the knowledge of good and evil is the law. If you'll think about it, what is the law? It is the knowledge of what is right and wrong. That's what the law says. The law says this is wrong. And if it's not wrong here, then it's okay. And that is the knowledge of good and evil. But notice it comes from the wrong perspective, meaning it comes from identifying that which is not right. The law tells you don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. And so the law, even in our modern times, and I've got two sets of Alabama codes in my office, one upstairs and one downstairs. They're multi-volume sets. They fill up a whole bookshelf, and they just basically identify what you can and can't do in the state of Alabama according to the laws of Alabama. And they just identify the law. When God set them in the garden, he said, I don't want you to live by the law. I want you to live by the Spirit. I want you to live by my words, by my character. Do not eat of the law, but I'm going to give you the opportunity to. I'm going to let you do that. I'm going to give you free will because I freely loved you. I want you to freely choose to do what I say and love me. And Jesus, you go, why 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 does doing what God say identify loving him? There's a lot to go into that. But the truth is, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. That takes us all the way back to Genesis, doesn't it? You can imagine Jesus in the garden, Lord God meeting with him in the garden and say, don't eat of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. If you love me, you'll do what I say. And they didn't. And in the New Testament, Jesus comes to them and he's talking right to his disciples. And he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. That's just natural. If you love me, you'll do my will and not your will. I'm going to give you the freedom to choose your will. But you, if you love me, you're going to do my will. And Jesus loved the Father, and he said, I only do what I see my Father doing. I do my Father's will. I don't, I don't do my will. And Jesus had a will of his own. Holy Spirit has a will of his own. And they both choose to point to the other. The Holy Spirit point, points toward Jesus, and Jesus points toward the Father. The Holy Spirit reveals Jesus, and Jesus unveils the full truth of who the Father is. And if you think about that, and as you study through it, you realize that God's at work. And when they ate of the fruit of that tree, and they realized that they didn't have any clothes on, that they were naked, and naked's a picture of sin. When they realized that, God clothed them. The Lord God came down there, and he made a sacrifice of blood, because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So he made that sacrifice of blood, and he provided them clothes. And those clothes represent God's covering. These are just real simple understandings, but they are highly important because they start in Genesis and they carry throughout Scripture. And so then we get here to chapter 28 of Exodus, and we have God giving some very specific instructions about how to clothe the priest. All right? If I'm going to use the pictures, Jesus is the great high priest. Is this how Jesus is clothed? 
Now, similar in some ways, not similar in others. We see Jesus presented in Daniel chapter 10, and that's before he's finished his work. And he has some similarities to the way he's presented in Revelation chapter 1, but some dissimilarities because in, in Daniel 10, he's clothed and he's clothed as he is, but he, he has not finished the work on the cross. And so there's some differences. In Revelation chapter 1, he has finished his work. And so he's fully completed the task at hand, uh, and that is to redeem humanity from sin. And once he's done that, he sits down on the cross, sits down on the throne of David right next to the Father. Here, he is telling them how to clothe Aaron. And Aaron is a Levite. Aaron's the brother of Moses. And Aaron's going to be the first of the high priest of the Levitical clan. Jesus is our great high priest. And you would naturally think this is more talking about Jesus, but it's not because we're each priest. And the Bible says that he's made us a kingdom of priests. And so we understand as believers in the New Testament, as born again believers in the New Testament, we are a kingdom of priests, meaning we have access to the Father on our own. My old Baptist heritage, which I love in many ways, I wish the church was more like the heritage that it comes from, believed one of the core fundamental understandings of how to put together the church and how the church should operate that comes from the Baptist faith is the understanding of the priesthood of the believer. That means that each believer seeks out God, finds God, understands God, knows God, by the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, on their own. Do you hear what I said? That means each believer finds God, seeks out God, knows God, walks with God on their own, by the Holy Spirit, revealing Scripture to them. That's called the priesthood of the believer, and they believe that. And, and, and so I've always believed that. Each believer's got to come to God and meet with God on their own. Why? Because they're their own priest. You're a priest, you have a great high priest, which is Jesus, chief priest, and you need to, you have to approach him. You have the right to go into the throne room of heaven and approach God and meet with God and commune with God on your own and to know him on your own and to glorify him on your own. Now we do that all together because we're not supposed to, we're not supposed to just do it willy-nilly by ourselves. We're supposed to do it as a group of believers. We're not forsake the assembling of the saints, but ultimately who you are and what you are is between you and God. And it is, and that's powerful. And so he says, have Aaron, your brother, brought to you from among the Israelites. And so we're going to see God and his process of clothing us in his righteousness so that we can be priests ourselves. That's the whole point of why Aaron's being brought. He is going to be a picture of God preparing us to be able to meet with him. He says, along with his sons, Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar, so that they may serve as priests. Notice, there's a family line issue that goes on here too, by the way. God, God redeems, in the New Testament, you see it over and over again, especially in the book of Acts, God saved him and his whole house. And so there is a household or a, fam or, or a familial thread that runs through all of Scripture, and God, God ultimately wants to bring new families into his kingdom to glorify himself, and he always wins one. And then if you'll notice, it seems like more and more people in that family will begin to have their eyes open and to recognize who Jesus is. And rarely do you have just a single person come to Christ. Eventually, most of the family comes to Christ. And that can be a one-unit family or that can be extended families within a group of people. But God always is moving through one 
to reach many. And so we see that with Aaron. Moses' brother, Moses gets called. Moses says, I can't do it. God brings Aaron along. As Aaron moves on, Aaron has children, and his children become the high priest behind him. Now, they're not going to be perfect at it. In fact, two of them are going to die because they don't do it well. But the truth is, is that God, God has always and always will work through you to reach your family. He said, he says, make sacred garments for your brother Aaron to give him dignity and honor. Notice, he's going to make these garments. They're going to be sacred because they're from God. Those garments that were made for Adam and Eve in that garden, they were sacred garments. They were made by God. And notice, they were to take them out of sin and death and give them dignity and honor. There's no dignity in sin, okay? There's no goodness that comes out of sin. Sin not, does not have a redemptive quality to it. So many people want to come up with ways uh, to explain why sin's okay. And in our society, that's becoming true more and more. And I'll just say that God is, uh, God's not in the business of dignifying sin. There's only dignity in truth and life. And so he says, I want you to make garments. Remember, these clothes that God is making for us as, as high priests, we're stepping into these shoes. We're understanding that we're a, a priesthood ourselves, and we have a right to enter into the kingdom of God. When God clothes us in his righteousness, that gives us dignity, and it gives us honor. It, it makes it possible that we can walk in in front of God. And understanding that God has clothed you, clothed you in his righteousness, and that because of his righteousness that he's given you, you now have dignity and honor. You have a reason to be uh, proud of who you are because you are who you are through Christ Jesus. And you have a reason to uh, feel like you are someone important because you are, you are a co-heir with Christ in his kingdom. And so he clothes us with dignity and honor. He says, tell all the skilled workers to whom I've given wisdom in such matters that they are to make garments for Aaron for his consecration, so that he may serve me as priest. And so we see that God has an ultimate plan to make Aaron a priesthood, and then ultimately we're going to be in that priesthood too. Not Aaron's priesthood. We're in a we're in a different priesthood, by the way. We're in a different line of priest. We're in the line of Melchizedek. But that doesn't mean that when they're clothing priests that we can't learn from the clothing that is made because ultimately the ability to approach God, whether it be in the line of Aaron or the line of Melchizedek, either one, you've got to do and be a certain thing, have certain attributes that make you make it possible for you to seek God. So I am going to tell you that we're not in the line of Aaron as priest. We're in the line of Melchizedek. He says, these are the garments they are to make, a breast piece, an ephod, a robe, a woven tunic, a turban, and a sash. All right, these are the garments. Now, we're going to go into them in detail as we're going through this. We're going to spend some time on this at the end of this week, tomorrow, and the next week. But I need that God has a full garment for it. It's not just put on a hat and go to the game. You're, there is a full garment here. There's a breast piece. There's an ephod that goes over that breast piece. There's a robe that's under it a woven tunic that is under a turban and a sash, turban being a hat, and a sash. They are to make these sacred garments for your brother Aaron and his sons so that they may serve me as priests. Notice, the way we serve God is we clothe ourselves in his righteousness. The way we serve God is we take on his form. We, we present ourselves as he is because he's given us that. And so that's what this whole uh, story is about. 
He says, have them use gold and blue and purple and scarlet yarn and fine linen. Remember, linen is the priestly, is the is the cloth that uh, represents the priestly class. And then notice it's not going to be just a plain Jane garment. It's going to be gold and purple and blue and scarlet yarn. It's going to be beautiful. And it is going to represent uh, the fullness of God. And so as you study through this and as you think about this, that God has clothed us in righteousness. And that plan started way back in the book of Genesis. And then in the Revelation, God asked the question three times, has he not made us priests and kings before him or a a priestly kingdom? Has he not made us that? And we are. We're kings before him because we are the co-heirs with Christ, the the sons of God. We We are priests before him because we come in the line of Melchizedek and Jesus being the great high priest in the line of Melchizedek, we have the right to enter into his kingdom and to know him. And as we do that, we honor him and we can have dignity and we can have honor because of that. Wow, what a promise this is. And it's gonna be fun to study all the different aspects of the clothing. But the main thing is I want you to understand is that this is the plan. It's a plan that's been in place for a long time It's God's plan that's been at work in society and in the world since the foundation of time. And you are clothed in the righteousness of God, even right now. Will you walk in that righteousness? Will you honor God by walking in faith with him? I know you will. I expect you will. Uh, it It is the great honor of our lives to honor our king by being as he is and by keeping his commandments because we love him. As you go today, I pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you, that he'll make his face to shine upon you, and that he will give you hope and peace today in Jesus' name.